You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today's episode of Locked on Packers is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Today on the show, the Packers decide not to have fans for at least the first two home games. We talk about the opportunity for the Packers' defense to improve, and Matt LaFleur hints at how many quarterbacks he will keep on the roster. We will get to all of that in just a second. If you want to skip right to the football talk eight, nine minutes into the show, uh, you can do that. I understand that You know, not everyone wants to hear about you know the, the machinations around the the COVID preparations, but I think it's important and it's certainly newsworthy. So we're going to start there. On Thursday, the Packers announced that they will not have fans for the Lions or Falcons home games early in the season. Their next home game is not until early November. So there will not be fans at Lambeau Field in September or October. And that seems a little jarring. Mark Murphy had already previously said that the fan capacity would be capped significantly somewhere in that 10 to 12,000 range. Now it looks like there just won't be fans at all. And that is coming for a number of different reasons. You know, the numbers around the country continue to be troubling. The numbers in Wisconsin are still well above where you would want them. So this is something that the Packers are having to, to make a decision on. And it's not an easy decision. And I don't think we should treat it that way. This is something that's going to hurt revenue for the Packers. It is going to cost the league millions of dollars, billions around the league if you incorporate all of the teams. It's going to cost local businesses. It's going to cost local hotel owners and restaurant owners and even just the the local house people who give up their lawns and, and take your money. I mean, there are, there are so many little things that are going to be missed this year because of not having fans. And that is, of course, its own problem. And it is a microcosm of the problems that this virus has caused us as a nation. The shutdown has hurt businesses. It has hurt local communities. And it has hurt our sense of community. We are isolated from one another. And one of the best ways for Packers fans to come together to feel that sense of community is you go to Green Bay on a Sunday in the fall and you go tailgate, even if you don't go to the games. I know so many people who live in Green Bay that just go to tailgate. They don't even have tickets. They just go to meet up with their friends or their families and have a couple beers, have a broad or two, and then go home and watch the game. 
That sense of community is something that we are losing. And that is a hidden cost. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt anyone's wallet, but it, it hurts our sense of togetherness, of unity. And th- this is true of our country as a whole right now. And we don't have numbers or dollars to put on the costs of the isolation, that feeling of loneliness that we have from needing to be separated from the people we care about, the people that we want to see. Now, there's also this concern of the season itself. Baseball is having its own struggles. You look at the NBA, not a single positive test in the bubble. Major League Soccer has a similar success rate. Hockey is having similar success right now with their bubbles. The NFL has decided not to go to a bubble. So, okay, they have to make this work. The thing about the NFL season is it always pushes into the new year. So there's going to be playoff games in January. The Super Bowl is in February. And they can have the Super Bowl. The league has said this. They can have the Super Bowl any week in February. They can push it to the end of of February. So let's say we get six, eight, 10 weeks into the season and all of a sudden the situation with the virus has just become untenable and it is spreading and it's it's a huge problem and you have to cancel so many games that you just have to suspend the season. I don't think you will have to cancel the season because they have this backstop. And then you get into 2021 and there is the possibility of having a vaccine. You can have not only fans in seats, but you can have players with some level of immunity, hopefully. That is, of course, a best-case scenario, but it's also something that the, the league has as a backup plan. It's in the back of their pocket that this is something that they can do. There's also the importance of this daily testing. It's really hard to have an outbreak when everyone is being tested every day because you have fewer opportunities, fewer vectors, fewer infection points for a a group of players to get it. Someone gets it and you know pretty quickly that someone has it and then you can isolate them. Everyone that's come in contact with them, they have this comprehensive contact tracing and you're going to know everyone who came within six feet of that player. There are going to be precautions that you can take. That is hopefully going to prevent massive outbreaks if everyone follows the rule. The reason baseball has had a huge issue is because people aren't following the rules. The teams aren't following the rules. The players aren't following the rules. And if the NFL is going to be successful, everyone has to do their part here. Now, the testing is better in the NFL. And, you know, you listen to the players talk, the coaches talk, the front office people talk. You know, Brian Gutekind said he wants to make Lambeau Field the safest place in Green Bay. And, you know, I've, I've heard from fans and, and, and people that that's frustrating because they can't get tests or, you know, the local communities are not as successful. This is something that certainly local businesses, not just local, but, but big businesses could be doing. You see, this is happening in, in countries around the world where private companies are buying testing capabilities to protect their employees. The NFL is doing it. And it's, it's, we're talking about billions of dollars at stake, billions with a B dollars at stake. So they have to find a way to make this work because most of the players are playing. We had a couple of high-profile opt-outs, but that's about it. Most of these guys are going to go ahead with this, and they need to make it safe. It sounds like it's going to be safe. And so 
if that's the case, you have the daily testing, you have the schedule pad, and you're going to probably have empty stadiums. That's the best case scenario. That's the best way to do this outside of a bubble. If you're not going to have a bubble, then what the NFL is doing is the best way to make this work. It still falls on the shoulders of each and every player to make this work. And I think smartly the team has decided that adding 10, 12,000 fans just adds too many variables. Now you're not just expecting the 80 guys on your roster to be responsible, the coaches and the staff. You're expecting 10,000 fans who are going to be served alcohol to also be responsible. And it, it from a from a public health standpoint, it just doesn't make any sense. And you know what else doesn't make sense? When you go to buy car parts, why do I have to pay a different price from a mechanic? Shouldn't I get the discount? I don't know what I'm doing, but that's not how this tends to work. That's why rockauto.com is here to simplify car part buying. We all have issues with our car from time to time. It doesn't matter how nice a car you have. Something's going to go wrong if you have the car long enough and you need to buy parts for it. That's why rockauto.com has low prices for everyone. Whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional or you're a hobbyist, you need to buy car parts and they want to make it easy for you. They've got a catalog that is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. No stores, no in-person annoying clerks who make you feel guilty for not knowing the difference between I can't even name car parts because that's how much of a, a noob I am. I, I don't know anything. And so I need a thing like rockauto.com because I don't even know what questions to ask. Go to Rock Auto. They can help you and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. So Shale Kapadia, who is one of the, uh, the the best writers, I think, covering the NFL, one of the smartest, uh, certainly analytical minds that we have, put together this ranking of defenses. And, and the premise was, you know, a handful of the best defenses in football last year, the 49ers, the Patriots, were not top defenses in 2018. So who are the teams likely to make that kind of jump, and he ranked all 32 teams. Green Bay came in 13th. They were 15th in DVOA last year, and I think in a lot of ways this is not just a who will make a jump rankings, but it's it's kind of a, a projected how is this all going to go rankings if you if you really look at it. So what he says about Green Bay is they have these young players, Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Darnell Savage, Rashawn Gary. Those are the names that he mentions. He said that the Packers can realistically count on the same personnel producing better results. They just need one or two of those guys to take a big step forward. To me, the player most likely to do that is Darnell Savage. And when you look at the Packers last year, uh, you can see that they really did a great job rushing the passer. Top five in pressure rate no matter where you look. And Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, they were out freaking standing. Okay, that's great. Now, you need some place for improvement. Again, if you're going to look somewhere, I think it is at that safety position. Darnell Savage was inconsistent but showed flashes, incredible flashes of ability. The Packers were eighth in coverage grade by Pro Football Focus last year. They were top 10 in passing defense. 
And if they can get a little bit more consistency from Savage, maybe you get a little bit of a step forward from Kevin King. Now you have something because you're going to keep getting that pass rush, Kenny Clark, Sedarius Smith, Preston Smith. You hope Rashawn Gary, just by playing, is going to be productive. I mean, he was he was productive as a pass rusher in short spurts last year. Now he's going to have you know, 40, 45, 50% of snaps on his plate. You think even just the, the same level of play, he's going to get walk into five, six, seven sacks just because he's going to be free sometimes. He's going to get one-on-ones against some bad players because there's going to be so much attention to Zadarius Smith. I'm fascinated to see how opposing offense's game plan for the Packers in 2020 because of the season that Zadarius Smith had last year. Does it change? Because Z took a lot of teams by surprise last year. But that's not going to be the case anymore. So, okay, those are the parts of the defense that are most important. I understand everyone's question. How will the run D get better? And my short answer is I don't care, but my my longer answer is that they do need to be better against the run. If you want to be a top five defense, you have to be better against the run. It's just the reality. You can't... You can't be an elite defense and have as big a hole as Green Bay did last year in their run defense. So how do they do that? Well, they're going to continue to play small. Kenny Clark basically admitted as much, and they're going to continue to play a lot of sub-package. Kenny Clark also said that he believed Kingsley Kiki uh, needed to be a bigger part of the season this year, and I think he will be. I'm still very bullish on Kiki, but Savage can help here too. Because when you go back and watch that 49ers NFC Championship game, and trust me, I've watched it more than I would care to admit, there are a lot of plays where the Packers' safeties take some really bad angles, they're out of position, they get fooled, and all of a sudden, a 49ers running back is by them. They miss a tackle, they miss an assignment. Those kinds of things can't happen in year two. And if you clean them up, and suddenly you have alley defenders who are reliable... Now you're turning a run that would otherwise be four or five yards. You're not allowing it to become 15, 20 yards. I mean, you go back to that long Dalvin Cook run. That was a bad angle by the safety. And it turned a run that could have just been 10 yards into a 75-yard or whatever it was. Those are the kinds of plays you have to clean up. So now you take that year two leap. Savage has Pro Bowl, All-Pro type talent. I mean, I'm, that is not hyperbole. That's how the Packers view him. You look at the physical traits, the speed, the background as a cornerback, the ball skills, the flash. He has the ability to be a high-impact player, but not just as a pass defender. He can fly around and make plays in the running game too. He is the key to this defense in 2020. Not Kevin King, not the interior defender, not Christian Kirksey. It's Darnell Savage. And it's Darnell Savage because his ceiling is so high. He can change this defense if he comes in and and starts to maximize his talent. And the thing is, you're not asking him to be anything that his abilities say he can't be. You get in trouble when you ask Ladarius Gunter to be a starting corner. You get in trouble when you ask MD Jennings to play full-time starter safety snaps. Those are problems. Darnell Savage has supreme talent. 
So when you have talent, you're just asking your talented players to live up to that talent. That is very different than saying, okay, you know, we have this discussion with the offense all the time. When you ask undrafted free agents, you ask Jake Kumaro to be a reliable part of your offense. Well, you're asking him to do something that his talent says he's really not suited to do. Now, I think someone like Alan Lazard, he has more talent than his draft stock says. Same with EQ, same with MVS. And so they're a little bit different in terms of the kind of upside that they have. They didn't fall because they didn't have physical gifts or upside or talent. They fell because they were, in MVS's case, a little bit of a one-trick pony. In EQ's case, it was a consistency problem. And in Lazard's case, they thought it was an athleticism deficiency. But I think he's answered a lot of those questions early on in his NFL career. He was a down-the-field impact receiver for the Packers. So when you're asking Darnell Savage, what can he be? Well, he can be an an all-pro type player. He can be Nick Collins. And that doesn't mean he will be. There are a lot of players with a lot of talent. Rashawn Gary is incredibly talented. I am I am concerned that he will never be able to reach that talent. Doesn't mean he can't. He certainly can. Just watch what Sidarius and Preston Smith do. Listen to the outside linebackers coach, Mike Smith, one of the best in football. He has an opportunity as well to become a, a really truly, his talent says he can be an all-pro. Now, does his polish Does his technique, does his on-field play say that yet? No, of course not. Darnell Savage is closer to being that person. I have more confidence in him as that year two guy to say, okay, this is on me now. I'm going to take this and I'm going to run with it. It's my opportunity and I can make this defense that much better. Shale Kapadia calls it a high floor, high ceiling group. They're too talented to not be Solid. They're going to be an above-average defense by DVOA. They're going to be 16th or higher. The question is, are they going to be top 10 or higher? Are they going to be 8th, 6th? Because I think that's the biggest thing. We know the offense is going to be good. Are they going to be great? We'll see. But they're going to be good. They're going to be a top 10 offense in 2020. Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, and this offensive line in an offensive system that is proven to be effective even with these guys and some of the limitations that the roster has. The offense is going to be good. If the defense can also be good, this team can be good. Not just good, really good. If you have a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, you are one of the five best teams in the league in most cases because most teams don't have that kind of balance. The Packers, for the first time in a long time, have players that we can say, look, we know that some of these guys are really good on both sides of the ball and they have that ability, proven ability, not just we're speculating, oh yeah, we think this pie in the sky stuff. No, no, no. We saw them last year. They were a top 10 passing defense. We saw them dominate games with defense. And we know offensively they can still win games that way. And they have and they will continue to do so. Not many teams can say that Green Bay can. And if they can take that step forward with just the internal development of these guys, the talent that they have, defensively, they can elevate this team beyond what they were last year. So I want to finish up with this. Matt LaFleur said in his in his uh, meeting with reporters earlier in the week that the quarterbacks, they were trying to focus on the three that they're going to have on their roster. He basically telegraphed 
that Tim Boyle, Jordan Love, and Aaron Rodgers are going to be the quarterbacks. And, you know, we knew two of those. We've talked on this show about strategies around the backups. And and my point has always been, I just don't care who the backup quarterback is. I don't care who QB2 is. I don't care who QB3 is. It makes sense to have three. Okay, in a COVID world, I understand the argument. I, I have, I guess, come around on this. You, you probably need three. Whether or not it needs to be Tim Boyle, look, I don't, I don't really care. Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, if you need to bring someone off the street to be your QB3, uh, I, I don't really think it matters that much. But there's no harm in having Tim Boyle if if the guy that you're keeping off his ro- the roster otherwise is like the eighth corner or the 10th offensive line. I mean, the, the, the value difference there is not big. And you're you're having a, a more important position at quarterback that you're keeping on your roster, someone with experience, and certainly that matters at that position. So uh, if you need someone to do it for a game, great. That's fine. I, again, I don't really care. But I go back to the point that I made early on in the season. I don't see an outbreak as a, as a highly likely scenario as something that is really problematic for, for the NFL. I mean, I, there will be cases and you hope the cases don't mount. I think there are the, the precautions in place that would prevent that. To me, if, if you have a very difficult decision, let's say you love the receivers, or you love the corners or whatever it is. I mean, I don't see a position right now in the roster where you go, you got to keep this extra this. And so that makes Tim Boyle expendable. I, I don't see that. Um, but, you know, they could trade him. The problem is there's no exhibition season. So maybe Tim Boyle shows out and a team's going, I kind of don't like our situation at quarterback. So what if we just called Green Bay about that guy and give him a a pick? That could could be a thing. Rob Domofsky reported after the draft that there were teams that were interested in Tim Boyle and and that liked Tim Boyle. So... It's one of those things where I guess you hold on to an asset. It's not something that I'm particularly worried about. And I'm, I'm already annoyed that we're talking about it. But it is news. Matt LaFleur did say it. It looks like Tim Boyle is going to be on this team. And that's a bummer for no other reason than Andy Herman gets to be right. And that's it's just a sad day for everyone when that's the case. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be back next week. Packers' first practice is coming up here. So... We may finally get some stuff to talk about actual NFL football on the field, and that would be wonderful. Apparently, uh, they are still putting cameras in every classroom, so guys like Jay Sternberger, who are on the COVID list, uh, can still get the work in that they need. You hope that, oh, you know, hey, I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. You stay home. You can still get the work in that you need to get in. And, and this is probably something that they can do moving forward, something that they can they can move on if someone's got a cold or they're hurt or whatever. They, could, they can still get the mental reps that they need them. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.